0: to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 can be found on page 1021 in the Adoration, Bibles 1021. We're going to read Malachi chapter 4 in connection with Luke chapter 1 and the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In the next few sermons leading up to Christmas, we're going to consider a few passages from the Gospel of Luke looking. This morning at Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, and then secondly at Zechariah's song, and then finally on Christmas, Christmas morning at Luke chapter 2, and we'll consider each of these passages under the umbrella theme of what God did for us in the fullness of time, that as we heard in our assurance of pardon, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, We read in the first place of that foretold from Malachi chapter 4 as Old Testament background. There the prophet says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's turn the second place to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, page 1087. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 5. This too is God's holy word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, that is Zechariah, And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the very outset of our passage this morning, we are confronted with a hopeless situation. We're introduced to Zachariah and Elizabeth, both of whom were righteous before God, both of whom walked blamelessly before Him in all the commandments and and statutes of the Lord. Luke gives Zechariah and Elizabeth a glowing testimony. In this increasingly faithless world, Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. They loved God, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. As we saw a few weeks ago from 2 Kings chapter 8, the theme of, of barrenness is a theme we see throughout the scriptures. It's a problem that we're confronted with time and again. We, we see that problem with Abraham and Sarah, and then later on with, with Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel. We see the problem again in the days of the judges, in the days of, of Samson, and then later Samuel. Physical barrenness is a biblical motif used time and again by the Spirit as a means to confront God's people with their spiritual barrenness. And so what we have to recognize in coming to a passage like this is that Luke's intention here in this opening account is to use Zechariah and Elizabeth as a picture. For us to see that their physical barrenness is symbolic for Israel's spiritual barrenness, their hopelessness is symbolic for Israel's hopelessness. For centuries, God's people also had been waiting for a son. Not just for any son, but for the son. For the seed of the woman who had finally come to set God's people free. Perhaps you're able to notice some of the connections between what we read here in Luke chapter 1. With what we read previously from Malachi chapter 4, the prophet Malachi spoke of a coming day when when the Son of Righteousness would rise with with healing in his wings. In the midst of Israel's hopelessness and despair, Malachi said that on this coming day of God's action, God's people would, would go out leaping like calves from the stall. He said they would tread down the wicked as ashes under their feet. And God had promised that just before that great day would come, He would send forth another Elijah who would go before them to to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Big promises. Marvelous promises for sure. But it's been 400 years. We flipped over in our Bibles from Malachi to Luke in a matter of seconds. In about a minute's time, we went from reading a prophecy to reading its fulfillment. But we need to appreciate the fact that 400 years stand between Malachi 4 and Luke chapter 1. The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth comes to us on the heels of 400 years Of silence. It's been 400 years since God spoke to Israel by the prophet Malachi. It's been 400 years since God has spoken to them by any prophet at all. It's been 400 years since Israel has received a a sign from her covenant God to remind her, to reassure her. that, That God would indeed be faithful to his promises in the fullness of time. Generation after generation after generation waited for a sign. And with each passing generation, the number of the faithful diminished in the land as less and less clung to the promises of God. Letting go of God's promises, not clinging to them as precious jewels. Well, how easy, isn't it, for us to do the very same thing? Sometimes we, too, look at our own lives or we look at the world around us and everything that's going on, and, and we think to ourselves, it's, it's hopeless. Perhaps we wonder, has, has God forgotten about us? Has God forgotten to be faithful? And imagine this is how many in Israel had begun to feel. In verse 5, we're told that these were the days in which King Herod was reigning in Judea, who is this king how did king herod come to the throne Herod we know was a wicked king Herod was a cruel king he murdered most of his family nor that he might gain power and place we know that in a year's time he is going to call for the slaughter of all the baby boys in Bethlehem Herod is not a man after God's own heart, like David was. Herod is not from the line of David or of Judah at all. In fact, Herod is is a descendant of Esau. And so, despite the fact that Israel is living in their own land, they're very much under bondage. They're living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And while Rome allowed them a sense of of self-autonomy, it was a far cry from the glory of the Davidic monarchy she once knew. And now Herod, the son of Edom, of Esau, has been appointed to reign over Israel. Whatever happened to the promise? What happened to the promise of of 2 Samuel 7, where God said to David, your son will be on the throne forever. I'll establish your throne forever. What happened to the promise that God gave to Solomon in 1 Kings 11? That even as God was going to divide the kingdom, what did God say to Solomon? He said, yet for David's sake, I will always maintain a lamp to to shine in Jerusalem, What happened to that promise for a lamp to shine through all the darkness and despair of a fallen world? These were dark days for Israel. And so it would seem as though there were little reason for joy and gladness as everything seemed to be utterly hopeless. And yet in these days of darkness and despair, in these days where God's people were increasingly letting go of Him, and clinging instead to the things of this world. We read that Zechariah and Elizabeth were still holding on. They were still holding on to the promises of God. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. As I said before, Luke gives them a glowing testimony. Both were righteous before God. Both walked blamelessly before God. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Oh how Zachariah and Elizabeth Elizabeth must have prayed earnestly. Not only for a child, but for God's grace to be displayed to them in giving them a child. For we know that bearing children in Old Testament Israel was Israel's way of, of participating in God's project of redemption. They knew that, that as Paul says to Timothy that the woman would be saved through childbearing. That through the, through the birth of a son... God's grace for a spiritually barren people would would usher in a new age of joy and gladness. And so all the mothers in Israel knew that this was their their duty to bring forth seed. Because perhaps through them the Messiah would come. And how important it was to produce seed. Without seed you lost right to the land. Your name would be forgotten in Israel. And so you can imagine all the the shame and disgrace and, and reproach that they must have felt. You can imagine how heavily this must have weighed on their hearts. For years they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But Elizabeth's womb remained closed. It would seem as though their prayers had been left unanswered. Perhaps they sometimes wondered whether or not God had, had really heard their prayers at all. And now... They were both old. They were both well advanced in years, Luke tells us. Now, the prospect of having a child was hopelessly impossible. And so you might wonder, well, what reason have Zachariah and Elizabeth for joy? What reason do they have for gladness? And we recognize that, of course, if left to themselves, they have no reason. No reason for joy and gladness apart from the Lord's gracious intervention. And neither do we. Perhaps some of us know the pains of Zachariah and Elizabeth all too well. Both of them, right, just before God. Both of them loved God. Both of them seeking to live for God. So, so what gives? Why, why hasn't God answered them? Why hasn't God given them what they desire? Isn't that how we tend to think? We we cry out from our hearts, Lord, I've I've been faithful, I've I've sought to do everything right. So so why haven't you answered me? Why haven't you you given me my heart's desires, good desires, perhaps for a spouse or or for a stronger marriage, or perhaps even for a child? What gives? Congregation, what do you do when your faithfulness isn't met with the fruitfulness that you desire? How do you respond? Where do you turn? In their hopeless disappointment, this old couple, well advanced in years, was a picture of Israel. A picture of Israel whose hope for the seed, the seed of the woman, was by now just barely hanging on by a thread. notice that there was yet a thread. Though few in number, there were still some in Israel who, who were awaiting the fulfillment of promise. There were still some who trusted that, that although God had been silent for some time, He would surely intervene. He would surely break through into their human history. We read about a multitude of people praying outside at the hour of incense. In the face of so much hopelessness, we see in verse 10 that some were still holding on. Some were still holding on to God's promises. Some were still expecting an answer to their persistent prayers as the priests served in the temple day after day. Verses 8 and 9 we read that while Zechariah was serving as priest before God... When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The priest, you may know, had to enter the holy place day after day to to burn incense, to offer prayers on behalf of the people. It was a a perpetual reminder of Israel's need for a redeemer. The whole Levitical priesthood, you know, was to was to point them forward to that greater intercessor, that greater mediator who would come, who would finally do away with that veil of separation that that hindered Israel from coming into the the very near presence of God. And so Zechariah takes up his priestly privilege and he enters into the temple of the Lord being that the priests were were so many in number, the casting of lots served to determine whose turn it would be to, to enter into the holy place, to perform this priestly function. This was very likely a a a once-in-a-lifetime privilege for a priest. And so, we clearly see here in our passage something of God's providential handiwork as the lot falls to Zechariah. In order that God might reveal himself to Zechariah in the place where God was most eminently known in the holy place. And so Zechariah, the childless priest, enters into the holy place to be in the near presence of God. He enters into this place where where everything in that place, where the altar, where all the furniture, all the furnishings, all the decorations pointed to the glory of the Lord's grace. But was God really gracious? Zechariah's name literally means, the Lord remembers. Elizabeth's name means something along the lines of, my God is reliable. But had the Lord really remembered? Was, was the Lord really reliable? Had God really concerned himself with Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth? Had he really looked on them? Had He remembered them? Was He with them as they prayed and prayed year after year longing for a child, longing for the removal of of reproach and disgrace not only for themselves but also for the people of Israel at large? Was God really reliable? Had He really remembered? Or were God's promises nothing more than Empty words. What do we read in verse 11? And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. In this well-known promise and deliverance, S.G. DeGraff notes that in the splendor of that angel, Zechariah saw the glory of the Lord's grace. But as is customary throughout the Bible, fear falls upon him. In the, in the holy splendor of that angel, Zachariah must have felt something of, of the burden of his own sinfulness. And the, and the burden of Israel's sinfulness. Who is he to, to stand in the presence of this holy messenger of God? But what does the angel of the Lord say? To terrify Zechariah, well, this angel says what angels often say in the Bible when they come to, to visit God's servants. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Beloved, God hears every prayer offered up to him in faith. He heard Our congregational prayer a few moments ago, boys and girls, God hears the prayers you say at bedtime. He hears the prayers you say around the dinner table. He hears every last one of them. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, she will bear you a son, and and you shall call his name John, and, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the boy's birth. The boy's name will be John, a name which means the Lord is gracious. But as we listen to what the Lord says through his angel, we need to recognize that these verses aren't ultimately about the family history of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Certainly, this is wonderful news for them in particular. God is going to give them a child after all these years. But but this is wonderful news, gospel news for For all God's people, even God's people today. Because God is here paving the way for renewed joy and gladness, not only for for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for us all. The angel of the Lord says to Zechariah that many shall rejoice at the boy's birth. And he says that with you and me in mind. Time of fulfillment had finally come. Malachi's prophecy was about to be fulfilled. For this child, verse 15, would be great before the Lord, says the angel. And and he must not drink wine or strong drink, but he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, just as Malachi foretold. And all this the child will do, says the angel, to make ready, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, a people prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ. All the waiting, all the praying, all the the disappointment and frustration, all of Israel's hopelessness was about to be faced head on. But Zechariah doesn't see it, does he? His faith rather seems to be shaken. Yes, he and his wife were both righteous before God, but, but this news, can't, can it really be? Can it really be as, as the angel of the Lord has said? So focused is Zechariah on the immediate concern of him of him and his wife's old age that he totally misses what's really going on he totally misses the main point that that the fullness of time has come that god is finally going to intervene for his people and zacharias said to the angel how shall i know this for i'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years Zacharias struggles to believe it. Come on, angel of the Lord, don't you know how old I am? Don't you know that my wife has advanced in years? Me, Elizabeth, a child? Impossible. It's hopeless. What unbelievable unbelief. Unbelievable unbelief in the face. Of the Lord's messenger. And yet, how often aren't we tempted to respond to the promise, respond to God's message in much the same way? How often don't we ourselves wonder whether or not the good news of the gospel is too good to be true? The forgiveness of all my sins, maybe for that guy, but for me? My sins are too great. Who am I, we may think, that God should look upon me and think of me or be concerned with me. It's sometimes how we think, isn't it? We think much the same as Zechariah often. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt the power, the wonder of his grace in the face of a testimony of his word, we say, how can I know this to be true? Don't you know me? Don't you know what I've done, what I've been like? But This is the kind of thinking that shows our need for God to intervene, to break through in human history. To do so, firstly, through John the Baptist to ensure that his people might be prepared, that they might be ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is going to be great before the Lord. He's going to refrain from wine and strong drinks so that no one can, can merely shrug their shoulders off to the side and say he's just a crazy drunk. It'll be evident that he speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the people of Israel will thus have no excuse not to turn to the God of grace. And neither do we. We have no excuse in the face of the gospel testimony not to turn. Verse 17, fathers are thus left with no excuse for not turning their hearts to the children. The disobedient are left... With no excuse for not turning to the wisdom of the just. Because God reveals his grace already here in sending John the Baptist to make them ready for Christ. No longer can Israel say, we haven't heard from the Lord. He must not care about us anymore. He must not care about our reproach and our disgrace. But Zachariah, who's tempted by the same sense of hopelessness that you and I are so easily inclined towards, can hardly believe it. How shall I know this, he asks. And how does the Lord's messenger respond? Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent. And unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. The angel's announcement was sure. He was God's spokesman. Zechariah knew that. But his faltering faith hindered him. From taking to heart the truly good news that God was finally intervening for his people. And so he receives a just sentencing for his unbelief. The angel of the Lord humbles him and and corrects him by by taking his voice away. Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Really, Zechariah got exactly what he asked for. Zechariah wanted a sign. Zechariah wanted proof. And a sign of proof is exactly what he got. Zachariah in his unbelievable unbelief refused to believe, to take God's word at face value. But God was forbearing. God was patient with him in the midst of his unbelief. He was patient with him even in his sentence of silence. This sign of muteness is going to to serve Zechariah as a daily confirmation that what the angel of the Lord had said was true. That his words would be fulfilled in their time. So far the response of Zechariah. What about the people who had been praying outside? when? When Zechariah walks out of the temple, the people of Little Hope seem to become a little more hopeful. Those people who have been waiting outside began to wonder about his delay. What's what's taking him so long? But when Zechariah came out and was unable to speak to them, Luke tells us that they realized that he must have seen a vision in the temple. The people of Israel probably weren't Totally sure what to think, but a vision that—at least—that's something. Could it be? Could it be that that God is speaking to us again? Could it be that God is is finally going to intervene for us? Oddly, Zachariah's muteness, not his priestly words of benediction, will testify to God to God's people that God was still near to them in the midst of their hopelessness and despair. That the Lord had indeed remained near to them amidst the despair of unanswered prayer, that God had remained patient in the face of much of Israel's unbelievable unbelief. But the final response, of course, is that of Elizabeth. We're told that when Zechariah's time of service was ended, he went back to his home. Zachariah returns to his home and he... He finds a way to communicate to Elizabeth what Gabriel had communicated to him. And Elizabeth believed. And she conceived. And the fulfillment which the angel of the Lord announced came to pass. Elizabeth, Luke tells us, is going to keep herself hidden for five months. Luke doesn't give us her exact motivation for doing so. But it would seem as though Luke views the intention of her withdrawal to be for an extended time of praise. That's reflected in her heartfelt confession in verse 25, where she says, Thus the Lord has, has done for me in the days when, when He looked upon me to take away my reproach from among the people. Perhaps Elizabeth also had spent many years wondering, Has God really looked on me? Has God really concerned himself with little old me? But now Elizabeth declares from the heart that she has come to know the Lord's grace and favor. And as a symbol of Israel, as a symbol of God's barren people, the removal of her reproach, the removal of of her disgrace, is symbolic, it's representative of the removal of your reproach, of your disgrace among the people. Because what we need today is the same thing Elizabeth needed so long ago, the gracious intervention of the Lord. and And this indeed is what God has provided for us in His Son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law that we might receive, the adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has surely concerned Himself with you and me just as He had Concerned himself with Zechariah and Elizabeth so long ago. And the season of Advent is a time for us to, to meditate upon that, to think about that, that God has looked upon us. He's concerned himself with us so much so that he sent his son in the world in flesh and blood. That's how concerned he was for us to have a, a sympathetic high priest. sending his son into the world, God intervened. He ushered in a new era, a new age in redemptive history of everlasting joy and gladness, a, a new era of, of lasting hope and deliverance in the face of all our hopelessness and despair. And so the Spirit of Christ summons us all to, to turn to him, to place our trust in him, In Christ alone, our hope is found. Christ alone is where you'll find everlasting joy and gladness. Christ alone is where you'll find peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. The wait is over. All of God's promises have found their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you and I can likewise confess with Elizabeth this morning, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away all my reproach, all my disgrace from among the people. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, You have done great things for us, and so we are glad. Lord, we thank you that you have looked upon us. You have concerned yourself with us to take away our reproach from among the people. Lord, we thank you that when you saw our spiritual barrenness. You did not abandon us or forget us, but rather you confronted our barrenness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him and through him, you made us to be fruitful again. Father, we pray that we would indeed make Elizabeth's confession our own, And that we would take to heart this lasting hope in this hopeless world. As we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.